Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the castaway opera singer of the label? Here we are. Enjoy! It was an illustrious group that stepped out of the 22-foot longboat on the shore of Guam, though it is doubtful that they were immediately recognizable as such. After a month and a half of living as castaways, they were far from looking as though they belonged in the gilded halls that they were accustomed to. Anna Bishop, one of the best-known opera singers of her time, would have been the most immediately recognizable name to the public. She and her diamond merchant husband, Martin Schultz, as well as other members of her opera company, had intended to make a tour of Asia when they had set out from San Francisco. Also stepping from the longboat was a pioneering American diplomat named Eugene Miller Van Reed and a Japanese officer named Yabe Kisaboro. The two men had met together in Honolulu to negotiate Japanese labor to be sent to Hawaii to work in the sugar fields. They had decided to travel to Hong Kong together. They were not to reach their destination so easily. The 22 people on the longboat were the only survivors of the Labelle. The Labelle was the sort of ship that would attract such a group of passengers. The German bark of 650 tons, captained by Anton Tobias, was a well-known and established fixture on the route from San Francisco to Hong Kong. It was not all illustrious passengers, however. There was a group of five European passengers in the cabins and a group of ten Chinese passengers in steerage, including two babies. No one thought to pay these passengers any attention, even to get their names, as they had stepped from the longboat onto the shore of Guam at the end of their ordeal. It had been over a month since they had become castaways. It had seemed as though this was to be another smooth voyage, as they stopped in Honolulu, Hawaii, and then started sailing to the west. Even when the gale blew up, there had been little to worry about. The sturdy iron-hulled ship was only two years old, strong enough to face the waves. No matter how new the ship was, however, it was not strong enough to stand against the rocky shore of the Wake Islands. The Wake Islands, or Wake Atoll, was a known navigational hazard long before the Labelle found herself on the rocks there. They had proven almost impossible to chart accurately, and there was a belief that they were not always above water. Worse yet, their low profile meant that they were almost impossible to spot at night or in difficult conditions until it was too late. Such was the fate of the Labelle. In the darkening evening of the 4th of March, 1866, with the gale blowing, the crew of the Labelle had no idea that they were about to be driven onto the rocks of one of the more remote places in the central Pacific. The hull was pierced through, and slowly, the people on board the ship were driven up onto the deck as their cabins flooded. The people on the ship spent an uncomfortable night on the unsheltered deck with waves crashing over and the limited bedding they had thought to grab 
as they evacuated the lower decks. The next day, realizing that the entire ship was a loss, the people from the Labelle made their way to shore, carrying what they were able to from the flooded ship. This proved to be very little in the way of provisions, and it soon became clear that their situation was not a good one. The only food from the ship they had been able to save had been some flour and a barrel of beef, but at least the island contained local wildlife that could be hunted. Drinking water was going to prove to be the real danger. They had no immediate access to it, and all attempts to dig wells had failed to produce anything. They had some kegs of wine, but that was not likely to last long, and was agreed to not be much of a substitute for plain and potable drinking water. Even after they managed to hoist one of the ship's water tanks onto the land, all present seemed to acknowledge that this too would run out. No matter how much they tried to dig for water, it seemed to be fruitless. At least, the holes that were dug in search of water did not go to waste. Though little food had been in a condition or location to be salvaged from the ship, the valuable cargo had been within reach, and Captain Tobias had brought to shore the ship's load of silver coins and quicksilver. He took it upon himself to have these buried on the island for safekeeping, knowing that if they were to leave the island, it was unlikely they would be able to take such a heavy load with them. Complicating the decision to leave the Wake Islands was the loss of one of the ship's boats in the gale that had washed her ashore in the first place. With 30 people on the shore, and only two small boats, the decision to leave the shore was not an easy one. The island on which they were situated was also surrounded by reefs, and there was a very real possibility that a small boat would be dashed against one of these reefs almost as soon as it was launched. It took almost three weeks for the situation to become desperate enough that they decided to attempt the voyage to safety. March 27th, 22 of the passengers entered the longboat under the charge of the first mate. Captain Tobias, the four sailors of the ship, and three of the Chinese passengers all went aboard a 20-foot gig. No one ever saw the gig again. The longboat's 1,400-mile journey ended on April 8th, with their ship finding land in Guam, a welcome sight after such a lengthy trial. Here, the Spanish governor welcomed them and did his best to make them comfortable, while he also sent the schooner, the Anna, to go in search of the captain's lost gig, as well as to attempt salvage of the stricken Labelle. The first mate that had so successfully steered the longboat to safety was sent along as a guide. Unfortunately, the gig was nowhere to be seen, and it was quickly presumed that it had been swamped and lost at sea. As for the treasure of the Labelle, that too proved to be more difficult than initially thought. The very nature of the Wake Islands conspired against the recovery of the buried valuables. While the crew had marked the locations where the coins and quicksilver had been buried, the winds and waves had washed most of these markers away by the time that the Anna arrived to dig them up. In the end, they were able to dig up most of the coins before they gave up, 
satisfied with their results. There are few things that stir the imagination like the prospect of buried treasure, and almost as soon as the news of LaBelle's fate reached the ears of the general public, ships began to make their way to the Wake Islands in the hope of finding riches. The coins might have been mostly recovered, but there was Quicksilver still buried on the island, as well as the general cargo of the ship that might still be retrieved for enough money to pay the salvage crews for their effort. The Wake Islands were as dangerous as ever, even to the salvage crews. In 1968, it was reported that the brig Cleo had brought survivors of one of the salvage efforts off of the Wake Islands, where they had been stranded for four months. The nine Hawaiian divers and a ship's captain had been landed on the island in attempt to find the treasures of the LaBelle. When a gale blew up, the schooner that had been deposited there the Moewahine, decided that it would be safer in open water and put to sea. Unfortunately, that was the last that she was ever seen, and the group of salvagers found themselves in need of a rescue. The stranded men had a distinct advantage over the castaways of the LaBelle. They had brought with them a distiller for water, giving them the fresh water that the LaBelle passengers and crew had not found that they so desperately lacked. With this obstacle removed, this fresh batch of castaways seemed to have lived in comfort, and their later description of the events sounds more like a pleasant camping trip that might have lasted a little long, but that was their only complaint. As for the LaBelle, though she continued to stir the imagination, especially as accounts of the treasures that she had been carrying grew over time, she was a doomed vessel from the day that she landed on the shores of the Wake Islands. None of the salvage missions had any idea of refloating her. She was too badly damaged. Up through the 1940s, there were reports of people seeing her remains still laying on the beach of the desolate coast. For further information about this wreck, as well as the history of the Wake Islands, the Wreck of the LaBelle and Other Early European Visitors to Wake Islands by Dirk Spennerman is a valuable source. For other information, please see the sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.